0: July 6th. As we look into the New Testament, today we'll be reading from the book of Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 27. How do the unsaved go about opposing the Lord's servants and their work? Tertullus, the lawyer, started with flattery, knowing that many people in high places are susceptible to it. Flattery appeals to our pride. If we did not flatter ourselves, others could not successfully flatter us. Do we really want to believe what they say? Then Tertullus used slander. Napoleon said, He who knows how to flatter also knows how to slander. As his last weapon, the lawyer called on false witnesses, who together supported Tertullus's lies about Paul. And yes, they indeed were all lies. Paul's defense was threefold—his life, his faith, and his service to his nation. Although his enemies could not prove their accusations, Paul did not go free. The safest place for Paul was in that prison, for God had work for him to do in Rome. The principle for you and me is this—you may not understand why God permits lies to triumph. But leave it all in his hands, he's in control, and the final judgment rests with him. And with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. July 6th, Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 27. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jewish leaders and the lawyer, Tertullus, to press charges against Paul. When Paul was called in, Tertullus laid charges against Paul in the following address to the governor, "'Your Excellency, you have given peace to us Jews, and have enacted reforms for us. And for all of this we are very grateful to you. But lest I bore you, kindly give me your attention for only a moment, as I briefly outline our case against this man. For we have found him to be a troublemaker." a man who is constantly inciting the Jews throughout the world to riots and rebellions against the Roman government. He is a ringleader of the sect known as the Nazarenes. Moreover, he was trying to defile the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth of our accusations by examining him yourself. Then the other Jews chimed in, declaring that everything Tertullus said was true. Now it was Paul's turn THE GOVERNOR MOTIONED FOR HIM TO RISE AND SPEAK. PAUL SAID, I KNOW, SIR, THAT YOU HAVE BEEN A JUDGE OF JEWISH AFFAIRS FOR MANY YEARS, AND THIS GIVES ME CONFIDENCE AS I MAKE MY DEFENSE. YOU CAN QUICKLY DISCOVER THAT IT WAS NO MORE THAN TWELVE DAYS AGO THAT I ARRIVED IN JERUSALEM TO WORSHIP AT THE TEMPLE. I DIDN'T ARGUE WITH ANYONE IN THE TEMPLE, NOR DID I INCITE A RIOT IN ANY SYNAGOGUE OR ON THE STREETS OF THE CITY. These men certainly cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. But I admit that I follow the way, which they call a sect. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the books of prophecy. I have hope in God, just as these men do, that He will raise both the righteous and the ungodly. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and everyone else. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ritual. There was no crowd around me and no rioting, but some Jews from the province of Asia were there and they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. Ask these men here what wrongdoing the Jewish High Council found in me, except for one thing I said when I shouted out, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, adjourned the hearing and said, Wait until Esaias, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I will decide the case.' He ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. A few days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was terrified. "'Go away for now,' he replied." When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him. So he sent for him quite often and talked with him. Two years went by in this way. Then Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish leaders, he left Paul in prison. Today we're reading Psalm 4, Verses 1 through 8 David wrote this psalm as he was about to retire for the night. He could not do much about the war around him, but he could do something about the war within him. He did not want to lie in bed and worry, so he committed himself and his situation to the Lord. He did that by asking. Asking the Lord for help is still a very good way to deal with inner turmoil and he believed. He faced his anger honestly and gave it to the Lord. Instead of lying in bed and thinking about your problems, meditate on the Lord and offer him sacrifices of praise, even in the midst of difficulty, which is actually the very best time. And he received. In the darkness, he saw the face of God and received light. In his sorrow, He discovered the gift of gladness. In the time of battle, he received peace. God did not immediately change the situation, but he did change David, and he can do the same for you.
1: We are, we Christians, are the biggest faith group in the world. Christianity is still twice the size of the next religion at this point. And the only way that we're gonna break this is not to say, what's wrong with you secular people? Why are you being so mean to us? Christians have to recognize, number one, that you're a big part of the problem, and number two, that we also can be at the heart of the solution. There are two basic ways of thinking about your self-image. One is what I'm gonna call a moral performance narrative. A moral performance narrative says, I'm okay, I'm a good person, I feel significant and I have worth because I'm achieving something. So if you are a liberal person and you feel like I'm a good person because I'm working for the poor and I'm working for human rights and I'm open-minded, you can't help in a moral performance narrative your self-image is based on your performance as a, a, a generous liberal activist person. You can't help but look down your nose at bigots. You can't help but feel superior to bigots. On the other hand, what if you are a traditional religious person and you go to church and you read your Bible, or you go to synagogue and you read your Bible, or you go to the mosque and read the Quran, and you're working really hard to be good and to serve God, etc. Now in that case, you have to look down your nose at people uh, who don't believe your religion and they're not being as good as you are. And maybe you're just a secular person and you're a hardworking, decent chap. You can't help. If your self-image is based on the idea that you're a hardworking, decent chap, you can't help but look down your nose at people who you consider lazy. But the gospel, the gospel is something different. The gospel says Jesus Christ comes and saves you. The gospel says you're a sinner. The gospel says you don't live up to your own standards. The gospel says that you have failed your moral failure and salvation only belongs to people who admit their moral failures. And Jesus came in weakness and died on the cross. And he says, my salvation is only to weak people. It only is there for people who admit that you're not better than anyone else, that you just need mercy. If you have a grace narrative, if you say the reason I can look myself in the mirror, the reason I know I have significance is because Jesus died for me, though I'm a sinner saved by grace, you can't feel superior to anybody. I mean, I've got a Hindu neighbor in my apartment building And I think he's wrong about the Trinity. I think he's wrong about a lot of things, but he could be, he probably is a better father than me. He's probably, he could be a much better man, why? Why aren't you a Christian, he's a Hindu? Don't you think you have the truth? Yeah, but here's the truth. The truth is I'm a sinner and I'm saved by grace. So why in the world, I'm not saved because I'm a better man. I'm saved because I'm a worse man and I, really? And so what happens is the grace narrative takes away the kind of superiority and removes that slippery slope that leads from superiority to separation to caricature and to passive and then active oppression. It just takes it away. Now Christians have got to admit that to a great degree we operate out of the moral performance narrative and we don't have to because we got the gospel. And yet to a great degree we do. But let me tell you what happens when the grace narrative is really ascendant. You go back to the earliest days of the church. Here's the Roman empire, the Greco-Roman empire and they believed in pluralism. They didn't believe there was any one God. Everybody had their own God, right? Open-minded. Along come the Christians and they say, Jesus is the true God. Very, very rigid. And yet the lives of the pagans and the Christians were different. The pagans looked down their nose at the poor. Christians loved the poor. The pagans were very stratified. They never mixed different classes and social strata. Christians got everybody together, races together, classes together. Pagans were extremely oppressive to women. Christians were much more open to uh, the leadership of women. Why would what looks like an open-minded philosophy lead to so much oppressiveness? And what, over here, the Christian, looks like a rigid philosophy lead to so much peacemaking and so much generosity? And I remember uh, not long after 9-11, I was reading an editorial to my wife <laughs> out of the Sunday morning paper that says, you know what the problem with the world is? Fundamentalism. If you're a fundamentalist, it's gonna lead to to violence. But uh, when my wife sat there and she says, that's ridiculous. It all depends on what the fundamental is. She says, have you ever seen an Amish terrorist? Listen, if Amish aren't fundamentalists, there ain't no such thing. (laughs) But here's what their fundamental is. A man dying on the cross for his enemies a man praying for the forgiveness of his enemies as he's dying. If that's at the very center of your life, that destroys the slippery slope. You, need, you don't need less Christianity, you need real Christianity.
0: Psalm chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, with the choir director, A Psalm of David. To be accompanied by stringed instruments. Answer me when I call, O God who declares me innocent. Take away my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make these groundless accusations? How long will you pursue lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer proper sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many people say, Who will show us better times? Let the smile of your face shine on us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and wine. I will lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Proverbs 18, verses 16 through 18. Giving a gift works wonders. It may bring you before important people. Any story sounds true, until someone sets the record straight. Casting lots can end arguments and settle disputes between powerful opponents.